join me, Christine Weinbrenner Eirich, for soulful conversations with my community of travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. We might all agree that we are missing travel right now. These conversations highlight what tourism really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. In each episode, you'll hear the story of industry professionals and seasoned travelers who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. This is the soul of travel. Hey listeners, it's pod swap time again, one of my favorite parts of podcasting. Today, I am talking with Esme Benjamin, an award-winning writer, editor, and broadcaster based in New York City. Her editorial work can be found in Elle, Condé Nast Traveler, Refinery29, Self, Well and Good, TripAdvisor, Culture Trip, and more. Esme is the current editor-in-chief of Full-Time Travel and host of the podcast, The Trip That Changed Me, which features transformative travel stories from guests, including writer-illustrator Mari Andrew, top chef judge Gail Simmons, and Emmy award-winning host, Samantha Brown. I am beyond delighted to be adding my name to this incredible lineup with this special pod swap. I'm interviewing Esme here at Soul of Travel, and then we'll turn the table and she interviews me for the trip that changed me as a part of her recently launched fourth season. In our conversation, we talked about her most transformational travel experiences, why she thinks travel is such a powerful catalyst for change, and why we believe it's so important for people to experience this for themselves. She also shares about mental health and traveling while managing anxiety, picking up from her chapter as a contributing author in the book Wondrous, The Unearth Women Guide to Traveling Smart, Safe, and Solo by Nikki Vargas and Elise Fitzsimmons. And speaking of Nikki, this episode might have one or two moments that turn into a bit of a mutual love fest for my three-peat past guest. And spoiler alert, she's going to be back in season five talking about her new book. It was so fun to bring that into this conversation. Love these soulful conversations? We rely on listener support to produce this podcast you can support me in amplifying the voices of women by making a donation on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. And don't forget, this is a special pod swap, so you don't want to miss Esme's interview with me on the trip that changed me. Perhaps take a moment now, pause this conversation, and download it for later. I'll also share the link in the show notes. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Esme Benjamin. Welcome to Soul of Travel podcast. Today, I am super excited to be joined by one of my favorite podcast hosts, Esme Benjamin, and she's here to tell her journey 
but also we're going to talk about podcasting and her podcast. So I'm super excited for this. She's an award-winning writer, editor, and broadcaster based out of New York City. And she is also one of my favorite types of creative, multi-passionate women who are doing so many things. So I'm going to turn it over to you to say hello and share a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing in the space of travel right now. Oh, thank you, Christine. I'm excited to be here and connect with you and your listeners. Oh, God, this is like the worst question you can ask a British person who knows. <laughs> right up there with like icebreakers. Um, okay, so my name is Esme. I am a writer and an editor and a broadcaster. I work for a publication called Full Time Travel, uh, where I'm editor in chief and I oversee all the content there. And then we also have a podcast called The Trip That Changed Me, which is an interview format format podcast, much like this one, uh, where I speak to people who've had transformational travel experiences. Yeah, thank you. Um, And I'm so excited too for our listeners to just know that we are doing a pod swap. So I'm interviewing you today and then we're going to have another episode where you're flipping it and interviewing me. So I'm really excited to also be able to play with that in in these upcoming conversations. Um, Well, to begin our conversation, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about kind of how you got into travel, how you found travel or how it found you, because it seems that is often the case for many of my guests. Mm, That's a nice question. Um, So I initially, when I started out in journalism, my beat was fashion. But over time, I started to feel like it didn't really fit me. I felt like I was never wealthy enough (laughs) for that industry. Um, So I moved more into wellness. And when I came to the States, I got a job over here for a company called The Culture Trip, which is a publication, but they also do all kinds of trips. I think they're mainly mainly focused on trips now. Um, But I was their wellness editor, which was kind of blending my two passions, wellness and travel. Um, And yeah, and that's kind of, that's where I'm at. And then I moved on to full-time travel after that. Thank you. Um, Well, you mentioned your podcast, The Trip That Changed Me, um, and you are talking with many other travelers about the experiences that transformed their life. So I'd love to ask the same thing of you. Can you share about one trip or experience that was really transformational that you felt had a profound impact on on your journey? Mm. I had to think long and hard about this one because I think every traveler has so many experiences that have shaped them. But I think mine began in 2020. So I was actually in Hawaii when the pandemic first kicked off, when it was declared a pandemic. I think I got back into New York the day that lockdown began. Um, And as everyone can remember from that time, it was so intense and so stressful. The whole world was feeling it. And then probably a couple of weeks into that experience, one of my very dear friends from university passed away suddenly that was just it was really hard it was really shocking I hadn't spoken to him in a while um and as is always the case I felt like wait I thought we had more time I thought we would do more traveling together so it was difficult and to work through grief when we're all cloistered away from each other you know there was no option of having a funeral or anything like that so it was tough um and then there was just so much more grief in my future that I I didn't realize. My grandfather passed away from cancer. I managed to go back home to see him, caught COVID while I was there. So that was 
fun. Um, and then after that, probably three months later, um, I had a miscarriage. And the following day, my nana passed away. So it was in the space of 12 months. I lost a dear friend, two grandparents, and a baby. And it was just, I just didn't think I could take much more. I can remember the day that my my mum called me and it was the day after I'd had the miscarriage and I thought she was calling to check up on me, but she said the hospital have just called and they said, Nana's not going to make it. She's going to die today. And I'd gone into my husband in the bedroom and I just collapsed on the bed in floods of tears. I, hadn't, I don't think I've cried like that since I was a tiny child, you know, when it just racks your body, like I couldn't catch my breath. So then I think I just hit an all time low. And my husband and I decided to go to Miami for a week just to rest our hearts and get some sunshine. And while we were there, we just started having conversations. And I was like, what if we just put everything in storage, gave up our apartment and just went traveling around the country for a while? And he was sort of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how actually interested he was in doing this, but I think he felt that that I was in such a bad place that he had to get behind the idea. And so that's what we did. It was made more complicated by the fact that neither of us could drive. <laughs> so we had to pass our driving tests um, and go through, you know, all of the stages of packing everything up and negotiating, breaking the lease and with our apartment and all of that kind of stuff. But um, ultimately we did leave on the 1st of July. Um, and that was that we headed off around the country for a big adventure. Wow. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I appreciate that. Um, and secondly, I do remember when you were posting about setting off on that trip. And I remember the post about saying that neither of you had a driver's license and you were headed out to explore the U.S. And I just, there was so many thoughts in that moment. So I grew up in Montana. So I grew up driving very early because I had to drive like our, my grandparents had a ranch. So I drew, drove like farm equipment and driving tractor and like all these things. And so it was such a, a moment of realization of the differences of experiences you can have just within the United States. And I was like, oh my goodness, I hope <laughs> that they're going to be okay. Um, so that was quite, um, yeah, quite yeah. an adventure in, in and of itself. I am very sure. Yeah. Montana was like uh, was our first stop and one of the things that struck me besides the obvious incredible beauty of the state was that all along the highways there are those little white crosses to mark every fatality every traffic fatality and I was like okay we've got to be careful <laughs> but we didn't get in any scrapes like not even a minor crash even a deer like darted out in front of us one day and we missed it by like a fraction of an inch but yeah nothing terrible happened thankfully <laughs> yeah that is very good I I do also always say I'm a confident uh driver because of that because of that is kind of an ominous thing when you're learning to drive to be very present too and I grew up on one of the most dangerous stretches of road within the state as well because of like hills traffic weather all these kinds of different things so um yeah that was a, a definitely a place for you to to start, I guess. Um, but I, I do know that, um, travel can be so healing. And I know that so many of us reach towards that when we need space to examine and reflect mm. and just kind of uncover 
you know, something within ourselves that maybe we've hidden from ourselves. And um, I told you I was, have been binging the trip that changed me a little bit in preparation for our conversation and listening to some episodes I had missed. And that was definitely one thing, you know, that I think is so interesting about travel is that we, we have this kind of idea that it's used for escape. So we kind of grab it as our reset, but what it actually does is flips that for us and it becomes instead of an escape like this immersion or this immersive process I think like that's very healing and internal so it's kind of I think it has a little bit of built-in trickery but from the guests that you have heard from what do you think have been ways that travel has changed their lives and why do you think it is such a catalyst for change and growth and kind of that that inner reflection Mm, it's such a good question. I think really it comes down to the fact that it creates a pause in our lives. And then within that space, other stuff is able to rush in. I think, you know, you don't realize how much your identity and all the pieces you place around yourself in your day-to-day life constrain you in some ways. And so when you go to a new place and you don't know anybody there, you're able to shed all of that and be really present and just start to think about your possible selves. I think that's what it comes down to is like, who might I be? Who do I want to be? Do I feel like I'm on the right track in my life currently? Or is there another way that I could go? I think like, yeah, I think like even with my my conversation, my husband in Miami, you know, we were able to have that conversation because we'd taken a breather from the daily grind and all of the burdens and responsibilities that we had at home. And we were able to have these bigger conversations and start to dream about what we might do. And I think a lot of my guests have, have explored that, you know, in the case of Nikki Vargas, my good friend, who is also a friend of this podcast, um, (laughs) you know, she, when she was on the podcast, she talked about a particular trip to Argentina that she took when she was first starting out on her path to journalism And at the time she was engaged to uh, her partner who was French. They'd spent some time living abroad, but she still felt like there was so much more she wanted to do and so much more travel in her future. And during this one particular trip she took to Argentina, she had a chance to take a breath and really get real with herself and realize that she wasn't happy and that she wanted to call off the engagement, quit her job and completely rearrange her life. So I think, yeah, when we travel, there's a possibility for things like that to happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, so many of us have kind of become like have romanticized that process a little a little bit because of books like Eat, Great Love and Wild, like where we've seen kind of on the big screen that process. But I do think that is a really true thing that happens. Um, and I just listened to that episode as well, because I wanted to hear someone else interview Nikki. <laughs> She's been on three times and we're getting ready for our fourth conversation, which is really exciting to talk about her book about that journey. So um, that will be really fun. But I, I do think um, that pause and and the, the thing that always kind of goes through my mind and you mentioned and alluded to the, the idea of like letting go of all of these roles that we have in these parts of ourselves or these things that we present outward in our daily life. Like for me, I feel like, like with my backpack on my back, the minute my feet like step off 
onto the tarmac or the dirt or wherever I am when I land, like I just breathe. And it's like all of those things just stayed in my seat and I get to just be me. And sometimes it's really hard because you forget who you are outside of all of those roles and expectations. And it's so easy to like quiet your true self down and just like keep armoring through all of those things. And so Mm. I think pretty quickly you start having these conversations with yourself that you don't have in your daily life or, or you, um, you know, things are difficult or exciting or different. And, and the way you approach it just feels so different in that space. And it's like really, I think, alivening and sometimes can be this, you know, uh, like throw you off your, your feet a little bit, which is also really helpful. <laughs> yes. I think that's another part of it, right. Is the, the element of the unexpected, the culture shock being outside of your comfort zone. I think that makes a big difference. There was, um, an interview I did with, uh, Marta Tucci, who's the owner of a travel company. Oh my God, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but I'll, I can send it to you for the show notes. It's a really great episode. And she had been living in London and, this is a trigger warning, but she had experienced a horrible attack on her front doorstep and it had left her with PTSD. She didn't really know what she wanted to do. And yeah, she, she was feeling directionless and she spoke to her parents about it and they were like, I think you need to take a solo trip, which seems like crazy advice, right? If you've just gone through a huge trauma to just cast out there on your own. But actually, it was the best advice because she was like, I think they knew something that I didn't know, which was that I needed to start to build up my confidence again, my confidence in my own intuition, in gut feelings and in my my own capabilities to take care of myself and know that the world is not that scary a place and that, you know, things will be okay for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so she ended up going to Cambodia, which I think is also a really interesting place for her to be because she was in Phnom Penh this city that, you know, is still recovering from its own trauma. Um, And that's where she found her healing and became a completely different person with a whole new career path as a photojournalist. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I can can definitely relate to the idea that people would feel like that was a really challenging choice or difficult choice or wrong choice to make. But the immediately when you mentioned that, that they said that she should take a solo trip, I was just thinking of how much that forces you to rely upon yourself and trust Mm -hmm. yourself and find your strength. I mean, you have no choice, but to do it. And like, it might take a few days of you sitting in your room and and not leaving (laughs) before you figure out that you're going to be okay. And, but it's, there's just something about how much you have to depend on yourself in a way that you don't normally do that I think does make solo travel so powerful and transformative for people. Um, I'm curious, you you kind of mentioned the, the year of travel in the U S did you have any aha moments or insights or did you and your husband experience anything that you didn't expect? I know you said he was not really as in need of the journey when you set out, but did he find that he was later on or how did that um, evolve for both of you? Yeah, I think there were lots of interesting takeaways. I think we've both been raised, um, born and raised in cities. So, you know, we, although we love the outdoors, I don't think it's, we consider it to be a real part of our personalities before, Um, but spending time out West 
and becoming so used to hiking. You know, we were hiking like every single weekend, going to all of these national parks. And I started to feel like this is something that I actually really need in my life more than I'd anticipated. It also helped because the particular miscarriage that I had was called a missed miscarriage, which essentially is when your body doesn't realize that the the pregnancy is no longer viable. So the heart's not beating anymore, but you're you're not like, for want of a better term, like shedding mm-hmm. the, the pregnancy. So I felt like my body had totally betrayed me. Um, and it was, it was really tough. It was like a real one-two punch because on the one hand, I was like, oh, I've lost the baby. And my body hasn't realized that I've lost the baby. So I think learning to trust my body again was much easier in the environment where I could start to really build my strength. And hiking every day, I really felt that. I felt myself getting stronger and stronger and and again, starting to trust in myself, trust in my own body that like I can make it to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. That was hugely helpful. Um, so part of the takeaway was that. And then I also, once we reached California, I found out that I was pregnant again. And so then I had to really confront all my anxieties about whether I was going to lose this pregnancy as well. Plus, my particular health insurance doesn't cover me for out-of-state expenses. So I had no way of knowing what was going on in there <laughs> um, until I got back to New York. So we had to like spend the next six weeks like trying to make our way back to the state so that we could get an ultrasound and find out what was going on. Um, but ultimately, it was all fine. And I now have a 10-month-old daughter. So it was a happy ending. Yeah. Um, well, again, thank you for, for sharing that. And I think, um, one thing that I love this space for is really actually being able to open up all these conversations around things that women experience in their lives. Mm -hmm. And when I was preparing to speak to you, um, we have bulleted to talk a little bit later about traveling with anxiety. So I think that's a, a perfect segue to that. Um, but I am also getting ready to travel for a year with my daughters and just even this morning, have been really grappling with because I had a reaction to a medication I took for menopause um, that was kind of missed because it was very early for me and all these things were happening. And then I took the medication and it has destroyed me. And I've really had a convert, I mean, constant conversations with my body. So as you were talking about that, like building that trust, that's, I mean, that's, I just sit here and I'm like, you know, you've done so well today. Like these are the conversations I have constantly right now and, and getting really frustrated that we might not be able to travel because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to. And, and then, you know, knowing how healing travel is, then I'm like, is this actually just what I need? But when you're caring for three children and traveling, how healing are some aspects of that going to be? So this is such Mm. a, a really relevant conversation to me personally right now is, is trying to figure out um, how to build that trust, but like how much travel can allow you to reconnect to yourself and, and how important it is for women, I think, to have conversations like this so that we can kind of understand these greater issues that I think don't get talked about because they're really uncomfortable and people aren't sure how to respond to them. And, you know, they just kind of get pushed aside. And I think they're really important to have. So I I really appreciate you being so open and sharing and that any of our listeners that are are hearing this, hopefully that gives them some freedom to also discuss things that I think are really important for women to be bringing to the table because 
I have, I have just sat here so many times grappling with, I wish there was a place to even look for information. Mm. Even my doctor had, has been of like no help. She's just like, this is an unfortunate thing that has happened and it shall resolve probably someday at some time and you might feel better, but there's no real like understanding of what has happened. And so anyway, I, that's a side note, but I just really appreciate you sharing that. And for people listening to just know, you know, it's kind of three points of healing we've talked about with travel that that healing isn't necessarily a superficial healing as well. Like it can be a really deep, um, powerful place for healing. Mm, I agree. And I think like, you know, my life in New York after the miscarriage, it was hard because a lot of my friends were getting pregnant or having children. And I just felt isolated. And I think physically moving forward and having that sense of momentum as we traveled across the country, like that really helped me feel like I was letting go some of that baggage and some of that grief. I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Well, the next thing that this feels like also a great segue, but I know that you wrote a really interesting article on relationship therapy retreats and this (laughs) because um, I went back to like the movie couples retreats and was thinking about that, that movie. Someone just told me about this movie and I was like, I've never, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know it existed. Yeah. I need to watch it. <laughs> um, but it was a really great article again, just kind of looking at the the different ways that people can use travel to heal literally and to create spaces for conversations. Um, and I know that you also recently, um, received a call that was optioned for a TV series, which I think also must be incredibly exciting. Um, so I'd love to hear more about <clears throat> what you learned about these retreats and what this experience has been like, you know, to kind of see the words that you've written be resonant and picked up and, you know, what what's happening with all of that. Mm, honestly, it was so unexpected. So I think the idea first came to me through a press release, a random press release about um, a psychologist, a therapist who was doing these retreats. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know if it exactly fit what I'm doing at full-time travel. I did do a version of this story for full-time travel that was like a Q&A with a woman who runs a retreat in Sedona for couples. But I wanted to kind of examine the dark side and that's not quite right for full-time travel. So I was like, all right, let me really dive into this and do a lot of reporting. I spoke to three different retreat leaders slash therapists and three different sets of couples who had been to these retreats. The retreats are held in exotic locations like Costa Rica or the Dominican Republic. And the couples work one-on-one with the therapist for eight hours a day for a week. So it's super intensive. But I think that if you're in crisis, if you're a couple, a lot of these couples had wound up there because there'd been some infidelity in their relationship. And I think when you're in that at that level of crisis, one hour a week of therapy over Zoom just is not going to cut it. <laughs> you know, they needed more help. Um, so it is kind of a last resort and it is very expensive. But for the people who attended these retreats, they felt like it really gave them hope where they had none previously. Mm-hmm. So after I'd done all this reporting, I started pitching it Honestly, it was, I can't, I can't even explain how hard it was to find this story at home. I think I pitched 11 different editors. I had a couple of people who wanted to ask me more questions, but ultimately passed on the story for various reasons. Finally, this editor from Elle, who I emailed a month before, responded and said, if it's still available, I am interested in publishing it. 
So I was like, it's still available. <laughs> and uh, we worked together. And so then it got published uh, right around, I think it went live like a week after my daughter was born. And I got um, a message on Instagram a few days after from a literary scout who works with a lot of big producers and directors saying, I'm interested in the, the optioning rights for this story. Do you own the rights or does Hearst own the rights? <laughs> anyway, this is real inside baseball for your audience mm-hmm. who probably are not writers. But um, yeah, so ultimately, like, I don't own the rights. Hearst own the rights. But they started to publicize this story because they saw a lot of potential in it. And there was more and more interest. I think about a dozen different um, people or entities spoke with the team at Hearst because they were interested in optioning it. Some for scripted series and some for unscripted. Um, but ultimately it has been optioned finally and Hearst has brought me on as a consulting producer for the project Um, so although I know this is a fickle industry and who knows what will happen with it right now it's in the early stages of development which is super exciting yeah how fun I mean just probably an experience that in the industry that you're in you didn't ever expect to be kind of going in that direction but Um, I think that's, it's just kind of cool to see something like that happen. And, you know, it's so interesting to me as a reader to think that you had to shop around so much to find that article at home, because it's very interesting. And when I read it, I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, this is such an interesting topic. And these stories of these people are very interesting. And I can see right away how people could imagine, like a script around it, because it is very like, I don't, I think it's, there's something really relatable and completely unrelatable about it that makes it very interesting. (laughs) Um. Yes. And it's also, it's right in the sweet spot trend wise. It's kind of like a white Lotus meets like couples therapy, you know? (laughs) So um, yeah, I'm not, I'm kind of now I'm like, that makes perfect sense that I'm not surprised it was optioned. Um, But at the time, there were times when I was pitching it and I was like, am I crazy? Is this not a good idea? And I think again a less than interesting your gut and intuition like I think this is a good story and ultimately it was better than I even thought it was you know it had more potential than I thought it did yeah and perhaps it needed to spin around in the universe for a while so that it did land at the right time you know when all the conversation was happening yeah Um, well uh, we did mention a little bit about um well, both Nikki now and Wondrous and um, traveling with anxiety. So I want to dump, jump into that um, part of our conversation. And um, for our listeners, you were a contributing author for the book Wondrous. And anyone who wants to learn more about that can go back to episode 78 and hear in specific about that book. Nikki and I talked through it when it came out. Um, but you contributed to the section on mental health and travel and mm. um, specifically talking about managing anxiety, which again, for me, felt feels so relevant. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, why that was important for you to write. And then we can talk even a little bit about some of the techniques that you mentioned. And there was also a, a packing list that I would love to just kind of pull a few of like both of our favorite tips, I guess, from that section. Mm. Well, I think normally when I read about travel and well-being, the advice is always so that it's like, oh, try and eat more salad or like, you know, do yoga by the pool in the mornings. And I was like, it just feels uninspiring. And so I started to think about trips that I'd taken and times when I needed well-being tools And this one particular trip came to mind, which was um, a trip to Borneo that I took when I was 23. 
And my friend and I decided to do this jungle trek experience where you take a boat out into the middle of nowhere and there's a little camp there and you go look for orangutans and you're really in, you know, in the jungle. And in my mind, <laughs> I think I forgot that I do not like bugs. I'm quite like I'm quite scared of like wildlife. I'm quite bougie, if I'm honest. I like a nice hotel. So I think even though I was young at the time and I was used to kind of like staying in places that were just fine, you know, basic. This was very basic. It was like little um, huts on stilts with like a chicken wire around the outside and like a tin roof. And the jungle at night, for anyone who hasn't been to the jungle, it is so loud. There are so many unfamiliar noises squawks and splashes and I was thinking in my mind I was picturing like we'd seen a snake in the water before we went to bed so I was picturing snakes coming in I was picturing crocodiles I was just spinning out which anyone who has anxiety will be familiar with Mm -hmm. um and so then I to cope with it I had to do these breathing exercises and so that's what I've included in the chapters of the book was a few different kind of meditative exercises. Some of them, well, a lot of them breath related, some of them like yoga related that people can do to just kind of level themselves and, and bring themselves back from the brink of a panic attack, which is where I found myself that day in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so helpful. And I also found it really interesting that for me, it's taken a long time to even realize that I had anxiety or had anxiety when I traveled. I just, um, I had, or had found myself coping with it or managing it, but didn't even realize I had it or was managing it, which I felt was very interesting to me. And again, going back to, you know, topics that we don't really talk about and should talk about, um, you mentioned in your chapter that one in three women suffer from an anxiety disorder, which I had no idea, um, but makes a lot of sense if I kind of look at my peer group and conversations we've had, you know, more honestly and open recently. Um, but for me, one of the, the behaviors I noticed is I wouldn't call myself a nervous flyer, but at some point landing, and I think it comes from some repeated flights to Mexico on a very bumpy airstrip where the flights were pretty, the landings were pretty traumatic. Um, I noticed that when I notice that we're landing, I always have my hands on both armrests and I start breathing really calmly. And then just as I know we're about to land, I kind of like count backwards from three to one. And then like, as the tires land, I like exhale. Big exhale. Yeah. And (laughs) I was like, oh, I like, I had no idea that's what I was doing. But after rereading this, I, I thought, aha, this is exactly an example of how I'm helping myself through those situations, even if I wasn't doing it consciously. Mm, I, and I, I really think, you know, if you're doing travel right, there are going to be some moments where you do experience some anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes it's something as simple as my first flight took off late so therefore I might miss my connecting flight and you're getting nervous about that Mm -hmm. or it's something like spending the night in a jungle with all kinds of crazy creatures but whatever Mm -hmm. the case I think there's always going to be moments where you need to steady yourself um and that's absolutely fine I think we all have those moments where we need a bit of extra support and no shame in like using any medications for that because you know I have used them myself and I know plenty of other people who have but you don't always have those on hand when you need them. And it's just nice to be able to have like something natural and easy that you can reach for when you need to feel more grounded. 
Yeah. And I would definitely encourage people to, to look into breath work. I think it's so healing just in general in our daily lives. I think, I mean, especially, you know, you live in the city and it's a place that's super energized and fast paced and you go from like 7am till 9pm before you even noticed it happened. So being intentional about breath is just, it's so, so important. It's something I've really tried to instill in my daughters. Like whenever they're finding something is out of their control, I really invite them to focus on some sort of breathing. And so I think that'll be something that's kind of built into their toolkit as well. Um, And then the other thing for me that I noticed that I do is like, wiggle my feet in the ground onto the ground to just like be present to myself, but also to kind of feel grounded and secure and safe. Um, and one of the other techniques you mentioned, which I've also, I think it was even Nikki, I heard her saying something similar about writing, but the five, four, three, two, one technique to kind of get you back into your body, but present to your surroundings. Is that one that you are familiar with or use very often of kind of naming, I think it's like five things you see, four things you hear or something like that, if I'm not saying it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think of which, what it is off the top of my head. Let me, so it is five things you see, four things you can feel or that are touching you, three things you can hear, two smells, and one thing you like about yourself. <laughs> so you can write those down or you can just think them. And often that's, it's also how I like to get into meditation when I, when I get around to meditating is by just trying to be sensor, sensorily aware. Like what is it that I can hear? Cause often you're like, oh yeah, it's quiet in this room, but is it really quiet in the room? You know, can you hear, you know, like right now I can hear like there's people outside on the street walking by. I can hear them. I can hear like my dog occasionally. I can hear my humidity, my humidifier is like emitting a little white noise. You know, once you start to notice those things, you become so much more grounded in the moment and focused on where you are. And that reduces your anxiety significantly. Yeah, that that's one that I have also used with my kids as well. But I, I think it is also we'll do it just hiking because I think mm. sometimes like as little kids, they like are pinging around and they are paying attention, but like they'll start talking about whatever it is that they're talking about at the moment. And I just like almost make it a game, you know, like what are five things you see and and the four things. Yeah. So that they can kind of understand how to be present. Cause I think that's also something that we've lost through all of the the busyness and chaos of our daily life that we can maybe pull back in a little bit easier when we're traveling. And if we practice it there, then it might be easier when we, when we come back and return to the busyness of our life. Yeah, that's a great idea. I think like anchoring yourself in the present moment is harder than you think. And I think it's why people say, I can't meditate. I'm terrible at meditating because they think clear your mind, clear your mind, be present. But like your mind is always going to do something. So the way I like to think of it is give it a job. If you give your mind a job, then you can really focus. And that's why a lot of the breathing techniques that I use to calm myself also involve counting, even if it's just like inhale, count to one, exhale, two, inhale, three. Just simple counting like that really helps you focus on something and that that helps with the downshifting. Yeah. Um, so I did mention the the packing list that was in here and I just wanted um, for listeners, you can definitely find the book. There's also um, 
a million other amazing topics in this book for women who are travelers. Um, but some of my favorite things that I recognize or that I use when I travel are um, essential oils, which which is met, mentioned. And again, early traveling with my my kids, I would always diffuse lavender wherever we went and in their rooms. And it was kind of this way that they knew kind of where they were, or they, they there was this common thing that helped them to feel comfortable, um, also helped me to feel calm, which is helpful. Um, and I always put like extra cozy, big, fluffy socks, because that's kind of a comfort item for me, or like a favorite sweatshirt, even if I don't think I need it, because it's one of those things that just, if you're feeling uncomfortable or unsure, like there's something about that comfort for me that helps me to just be more at ease. But I was wondering what are a couple of your favorite items? So I have like a little yoga mat that I travel with, which is, I think it's by Manduka um, and it's very thin. It's really just like a tiny sheet that you can put down anywhere, but it's grippy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really easy to throw that in a suitcase. And it means that, you know, when you get off a long flight or whatever, you can like just do a few stretches in the hotel room. Um, I personally love that because I know you do a lot of yoga as well, but like my body just feels really funky if I don't at least do some stretching like once a week, you know? So, and especially after like a long flight, that's something that's really necessary. I do love what you said about the oils. And I think that's completely right. Not just again, because it brings your focus to something sensory, but the idea of the familiar scent, because there's something specific about smells and scents that you know, they familiar ones, they, you know, they, they just really take us right back there to where we initially smelt the scent. So if you have it at home, then and you use it while you're away, I can totally imagine that that would make you feel a lot calmer. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And I do yoga socks every once in a while, too, because that's a little bit easier sometimes than a yoga mat, just the sticky mm -hmm. socks. So then I can, that's good, can attempt to do yoga wherever I am. Also, uh, I know this is like not con having a phone is not conducive to reducing anxiety at all, but I do really rate some of the meditation apps. And that's why I actually learned a lot of these breathing techniques. It's nice because you can just like put your headphones in and do it wherever you are. Um, personally, I love Headspace. They also have amazing like bedtime stories that I really, really love and um, sound like sleepy sounds. So if you have issues with insomnia, which I quite frequently do, it's so good for that. Yeah. I will also give a, a good shout out to Headspace. That's my, mm -hmm. my, my favorite, like make it all easy app. So, yeah. um, well, I know you launched today season four of the trip that changed me, which is so exciting. Congratulations. Um, Thank today you. as we're recording. So obviously when this airs, there'll be episodes <laughs> out. Um, but I'd love for you to share one of your favorite past interviews and then also one that you're most looking forward to in this upcoming season. Oh, God, there's so many good ones. I'm trying to think of one that your audience would particularly like. I think um, one that I think is actually interesting was with the writer and illustrator Mari Andrew, who I am a big fan of. I think she is so all of her writing is so heartfelt um, and, and just really resonates with me and a lot of other people, obviously, otherwise she wouldn't be so popular. Her Instagram, definitely check it out if you haven't already. Um, but her story was about a trip that she took to Hydra in Greece. And it was a solo trip. She's somebody who prides herself on solo travel. I think she's written about it for New York Times and all kinds of other publications. She really considers herself at her core to be a solo traveler. 
But on this particular trip, she started to feel differently about solo travel. Um, and I think the way she put it was that it was so heartbreakingly beautiful and that she realized that beauty is meant to be shared. And started to, she started to feel like, actually, I, I'd like to bring people with me when I have these experiences because, you know, whether you're reflecting back on something with somebody years later um, or just being more in the moment and, you know, bringing things to each other's attention, it's, it is special to travel with somebody. So I thought that was, a, that was an interesting flip on the idea of solo travel because most people who are solo travelers that I have on the podcast obviously are advocating for more of that. And I do think that solo travel is life-changing for so many reasons. As we discussed before, it helps you, really helps you like shed your identity because there's nobody around who's like, you, you don't usually do that. That's not, that's not very you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it can also be special to travel with other people and, and there is, you know, an opportunity for it to be life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting that she had that awareness, but it really makes sense because part of why I even started my travel company is because I really wanted women to have those experiences that I was yeah, having in community. So, yeah. It's really relatable that she would be feeling that way. Yeah. And there's another one, um, with this a woman called Rachel Signer, who's a journalist by trade. She lived, used to live in Brooklyn. Um, and she's also a, a kind of food and wine expert specifically. She loves natural wine. Um, and she went on at the beginning of her career, a trip to Burgundy in Paris, a press trip. That trip, she, while she was there, she decided like, okay, I love Paris. I love natural wine. My best friend and I could open a natural wine bar. But on this trip, she also met this Australian winemaker and the two of them hit it off and began a budding romance. And so ultimately she had to make a decision between Paris and the bar with her best friend or moving to the middle of nowhere to live on a vineyard with this man she was wildly in love with um, to start a family and you know, maybe become a winemaker herself. And it's a really interesting journey that we go on with her. And she talks a lot about you know falling in love with places as well as people, because you know I think that sometimes we go to a place and it just something about it, even if we've like never been there before, there's just something about it that feels familiar and inspiring to us. And I think you can really you know, become smitten with different locations around the world. Yeah, I I felt that way. And I think this is how you and I actually originally connected was Mm -hmm. when I was in Antigua in Guatemala, like the the minute again, like my feet hit the streets Mm -hmm. and the the cobblestone and the doors. And I I just was like, there is just some part of me that already lives here. Like, and and I almost felt like I was going to open one of those huge doors and like find her, you know, that was kind of how I felt when I was, in that space. And I I still feel very called to go back there and spend some more time because of that connection. But it is really interesting how a place will just catch you off guard. And it it is the, there's something about the place. Like I loved people obviously as well, but it just something about me felt very like aligned as soon as I was, was in that place. I love to ask people the question uh, on the podcast, (laughs) where were you from in your past life? Because it's mm-hmm. that feeling, you know, of like, I've been here before, like something about my soul, like recognizes this place, you know, it's my place. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, so who is um, someone coming up that you're really excited to speak with? Oh, it's a tough one, because there are so many cool people. I, the first episode that just went live today is with Laurie Wooliver, who is the former assistant of Anthony Bourdain, 
Mm-hmm. Um, she's an amazing writer in, in her own right. And the two of them worked on lots of books together. Um, and her story is about going to Sri Lanka to film Parts Unknown with Anthony. Um, and just, it's so lovely to hear her anecdotes about him. If you're a fan of his, which many people are, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's just lovely to hear like a humanizing side of him and and the way that he was as a traveler and as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, to hear Laurie's story about being somebody who is newly sober um, and trying to travel, because I, I don't think that we appreciate fully the way that food and drink are entwined, or the, the experience of being somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so ritualized, like you eat this meal and it comes, it's paired with the local craft beer or, you know, the local rice whiskey, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So for her to kind of break those habits um, was, I think, a big deal. Um, so yeah she talks a lot about that and just her experiences of diving into the cuisine in Sri Lanka and she yeah she's great so I definitely recommend listening to her episode yeah thank you and one of the questions I always ask is um, if people could take an adventure with one person um, fictional or real live or past who would it be and and Anthony Anthony Bourdain definitely is a very frequent um, person who's mentioned so I think many of our listeners definitely would uh, love to listen to her to her episode. So I hope they'll check that out. I have just been finishing. I'm not done yet um, with Elizabeth Becker's um, uh, episode, and I'm in love with that. And I like really want to have her on my podcast now. Because, <laughs> oh my gosh! As you alluded to, there were so many things you probably could have talked to her about that I was like, oh, I'd love to ask this question and follow up to that question. <laughs> I know some of the some of the guests I have on I get to the end and I'm like oh I, I can see the clock ticking and I'm like we've got to wrap up but I feel like we need another hour yeah that <laughs> happens to me all the time and is in fact <laughs> happening to me at this moment so <laughs> for for our listeners um uh I obviously want to encourage them to check out the podcast uh, where can they find you Yes. So the podcast is called The Trip That Changed Me. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically anywhere you find podcasts. Um, And you can also find my work at Mm fulltimetravel.co.co and on my website, esmebenjamin.com. Great. Thank you so much. And I do also have a few rapid fire or rapid fire-ish questions. Okay. Our conversation. So the first is what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? I actually am between reading. I'm what was the last thing I read? Oh my god, I'm drawing a complete blank. This is what this is what life is like when you've just had a child. I just have no memory whatsoever. Yeah. Well, just so you know, it's it it never really gets better. And I have three, so it's horrible. (laughs) Oh good. (laughs) Although my husband just put on a movie from my childhood, um, Real Genius, which is like a 1980s Val Kilmer movie that I watched obsessively when I was a child. And as soon as he put it on, I could remember almost the entire film. And I I was just thinking, like, why does that have to be taking up space in my brain right now? But I can't really remember if I need to like pack a lunch tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Oh, one thing I read that was really good recently was Big Swiss. Okay. Thank you. It's a it's a book about um a trans she's the one who transcribes therapy sessions for a living. Um and she falls in love with one of the patients whose interview she's been transcribing, but that and then meets her in real life and they begin a love affair, but she doesn't reveal that she knows all of this stuff about her her mm-hmm. life and experiences. Um it's very funny, it's very imaginative definitely a good read. 
Yeah. And also sounds like it should be picked up for a, yeah. a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what is always in your suitcase or backpack when you travel? Oh my God. I hate to say my phone, <laughs> but unfortunately my phone more recently, I did buy a Leica camera, which I am trying to take everywhere with me because it means I have to rely on my phone less because I feel like we all create so much content on our phones now. It's amazing that you have that. But if your goal is to put your phone away more, which mine is, then having your own nice camera is definitely a good hack. Yeah, I mentioned that I'm preparing to travel, hopefully still for the year. Um, and that's one of the, the conversations I've just been having is like, I was going to like, should I get the nicer iPhone? So I know I can just take pictures because it's great. And my old um, DSLRs, I mean, it just can't even compete. Or mm -hmm. should I get a new camera? so that I actually don't have to use my phone and I can kind of see the world through my camera again, which is something that I used to love to experience. So I can really relate to like how important that is, especially if you don't want to be distracted by everything else that happens on your phone. Mm -hmm. um, to sojourn is to travel somewhere as if you live there for a short while. Where is a place that you would still love to sojourn? I would love to sojourn, this is a funny one, but Miami. <laughs> I don't know why I love Miami so much, but I really do. I feel like I love the beach is beautiful. The water is perfection. I love the like Latin American vibe down there. The people are really fun. Um, and it's just like a fun scene. And I, I feel called to spend some time there. And as I'm getting older and I'm thinking about leaving New York, there's only a couple of places in the States that are calling to me and Miami is one of them. Interesting. Well, we'll, we'll look out to see where you end up. <laughs> um, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place you've been? I think probably pad Thai is my, I mean, I always eat, I love Thai food, but I also love Thailand. And whenever I feel like I'm missing it, I think it's the place I've spent the most time out of anywhere that I've traveled I probably spent several months there when you add up all the visits into one um so yeah I love to just like try and transport myself back there with a good pad thai or a green curry mm -hmm. and it's just impossibly good and super difficult to replicate I just had my kids make me Thai food for Mother's Day actually and oh it's very sweet I was like just not quite the same yeah <laughs> good try <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> Who was a person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? I think this is probably an obvious answer, but my parents, I think that's where my love of travel began. They traveled a lot before I was born. They spent a lot of time in India specifically. That's their favorite place. And I think there were a lot of little like artifacts and things from India in our house like little stainless steel cups, which you see at Indian restaurants when you go. My dad also used to import Ayurvedic products. So we had like Ayurvedic toothpaste, Ayurvedic creams and stuff, which I didn't, again, like I never thought anything of it until I was older. Um, but yeah, they, before, when they traveled there, I don't think they even had, I mean, God, there wasn't even like Coca-Cola or anything in those days. And they didn't have proper cameras. They had like slides, they had slideshows. They weren't like printed photos. They would sometimes get the projector out and do like a slideshow of like, stuff from the early 80s in India um, mm -hmm. and I think that definitely ignited my desire to see the world yeah 
Um, well, here's the question I already mentioned, but if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, alive or past, who would it be? It would be David Attenborough. Mm. <laughs> and I would go with him to like the Galapagos Islands or something where he could really like tell me about everything and I could just listen to his soothing voice all day. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> uh, then you get your meditation app and your travel in one. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so Soul of Travel is a space for honoring women in the industry. Who is one woman you admire and would love to recognize in this space? Oh my God, there are so many. Uh, I'm not like thinking of anyone off the top of my head who feels like they all feel equally worthy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just like to say, give a plug to Nikki as if she needs any more. She's like yeah. <laughs> pretty killing it. We're like, you're like, we're having on her fourth time and <laughs> I'll probably have her on again as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she she always inspires me. She's like, has such like a love of travel and like a voracious appetite for life and is just a good human being and one of my best friends so I guess yeah. I'd say her yeah thank you and it's going to be really hilarious to share this episode with her <laughs> she'll be like oh my gosh you guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> I appreciate it she, I, yeah I, <laughs> I agree I, I really appreciate who she is in the industry as well so um I will let you go ahead and just shout her name one more time so thank you and thank you so much for the interview it's been so fun I'm glad that we were finally able to do this after kind of going back and forth for several years and really glad that it timed with the launch of this season of your podcast and um, can't wait to talk to you soon on the other side of the mic as it were <laughs> yes thank you so much for having me it's been lovely thank you enjoyed the journey. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I'm so happy to connect with you. You can find more about the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourn community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can find out more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can also find the Lotus Sojourns I Guide for Women as well as my current book, Sojourn, offering an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective, or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or Soul of Travel Podcast. Join the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story. Mm -hmm.